Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Healing Uncensored Podcast. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a health and mindset coach for women with autoimmune disease just like you. I absolutely love helping you tap into your self-healing power, uncover the energetic side of healing, and release limiting beliefs around your body and your life. Think of this podcast as everything you wouldn't hear at your doctor's office. It's a place for empowered souls to move beyond food and heal themselves on a soul level. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Now let's begin. I just have to express all of my emotions and feelings about this episode to all of you listening today. You are in for a real treat. This is a powerful, powerful episode. My guest is Rachel Reimer. She is a medical intuitive. And it took her a while to figure out that not everyone could do what she could do, but that led her on her personal journey of becoming uniquely her. Her company is called Ray of Hope, LLC, and it has the intention of lovingly providing a ray of hope on everyone's healing journey. It's really important to Rachel that people who have been given up on still have options if they wish to improve their lives. So she and her company believe that the body has the ability to heal itself at the physical, emotional, and spiritual level. As you all already know, I also hold that same belief. So today's episode is unique in that I take the client seat and Rachel coaches me through some of my own personal limiting beliefs. This was such a transformational conversation for me and my healing. So I have massive gratitude for Rachel for sharing her gift with us on this episode. 
Here's to being really vulnerable and uncensored today. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's as real as it gets. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be with you. I am so excited to talk to you today. I feel like you are in the same vibration around chronic illness and like the understanding of it, the wise, uh, deeper, deeper levels of healing than I think we've talked about on this podcast yet. So I'm really excited for our listeners to hear this. I was wondering if you could explain to the listeners a little bit about what it is you do. So In your bio, it says that you have the ability to see, hear, and feel information from a person's name and recent picture, and you are a medical intuitive. So obviously not everyone has that ability or has at least tapped into that ability within themselves. Can you talk a little bit about how you discovered this within yourself and really unlocked that ability in you? Sure. So when I was little, I was a really, really, really sensitive kid, and I didn't really understand why other people were just fine with similar experiences that I would go to. I remember uh, specifically one time going to a Girl Scout camp, and everyone was having fun in the gym and playing and playing sports and hopscotch and things like that. And I was to the point where I couldn't even move because I was so anxious, and I didn't really understand why I was anxious all the time. And then I've, as I kept uh, growing older, I would start seeing things and I didn't, I thought that they were just bad things and I thought that everyone would see them. I I was actually talking with my partner earlier today about this. There's uh, a little movie called Veggie Tales. And I don't know if any of your listeners are familiar with it or not, but there's a little asparagus in it that sings a song about God is bigger than the boogeyman and stuff like that. So to me, I'm like, okay, other people must see these bad things too. It was kind of a comforting idea. And as I started to describe these things to my mom in my later teenage years, she's kind of like, that's not what other people see Rachel. And I'm like, well, mom, that's why I have problems sleeping during the night. I woke up from chronic nightmares every single night, probably until I was about the age of 18 or 19, because I would either see these things, I would physically get touched by things, um, I would hear noises, or I would see them physically moving doors, and that would terrify me, because I'm like, why is no one else scared to go to bed? And during my healing journey, I was actually sick and I found someone that helped me physically, and I most people can't see, and she commented on it, and she's like, can you, you see that over there, don't you? And she, like, described what it was. It was uh, the owner, the owner's dad that had passed away. And I was looking at him just, and I, I've gotten to the point at that period of time that I kind of did it out in the corner of my eye, just so I could still look and experience it, but be socially acceptable, not just stare into space kind of thing. But she caught it. And then she said, do you see him over there? And I said, yeah, how'd you know that? And she said, cause I can see him too. And I'm like, I didn't know that other people could do that kind of thing. So she was a really important person in my life. Um, 
on top of just helping me in my own physical journey, but also in the emotional and spiritual healing parts as well. And I noticed that once I started to embrace the things that I can see, I started to feel better as a person internally and my health started to pick up as well. So I think just a good way to start this podcast as well is that a lot of our illnesses are just a suppression of who we are, that we're not expressing a certain part of us that we would love to tell people about or that we would love to explore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's that's so beautiful. And I'm just, I'm fascinated. I feel like I have so many questions for you because I have always been an empath and an intuitive being. Um, but haven't tapped into my clear seeing yet, at least, right? And it kind of freaks me out, but I'm also like so, so fascinated by it. So really, really excited to just be able to to have this conversation with you. So you you hinted to a little bit of your own healing journey. Did you, have you struggled with chronic illness or what, what did your own personal healing journey look like? Sure. So in eighth grade, I experienced my first bound of chest pain Mm -hmm. and I didn't really understand what it was. So I went to a medical doctor because that's what I was, my family raised me to do. Uh, We went through a bunch of heart tests and all kinds of cardiac things and everything came back normal. And then the pain went away. It was just like a big, massive pain and then it went away and I didn't experience it for a while. And then slowly into high school to the point of about late sophomore year, I think that was when I really struggled with my health to the point where the chest pain became chronic and that my whole torso became so swollen that it was hard to sit up for more than five minutes at a time. And I got the diagnosis of TT syndrome, or it's also known as costochondritis. And the medical version's eye of that is that it's just inflammation of the tissue around your rib cage. And to them, it's just pain. So take an anti-inflammatory, you'll be fine. So I ended up going through that route of trying the anti-inflammatories and trying all the routes that they wanted me to do to get that inflammation down and nothing was working. And the problem kept getting worse and worse and worse. And when you start to see yourself being able to lose those Uh, things that you were able to do in the past, so does your mind. It starts to spiral downhill too of this is getting worse. I know this is getting worse. This isn't getting better. Oh crap. Oh crap. Oh crap. And then you start dwindling into the anxiety and depression Mm. kind of things. And I got to the point, and this is when I really became frustrated with medical doctors and the medical community was because they exhausted all of their options with the anti-inflammatories that they then thought that I was making up my condition and they put me on a bunch of depression medications and instead of treating me as a person they ended up going through that and saying you're making this up for attention kind of thing and that was a very 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 frustrating experience to go through and it felt like no one was listening to me or listening to the problem Mm -hmm. because at that point in time in my life I said mental illness is like things like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder or something like that. I'm like, I physically have inflammation in my rib cage. Why are you giving me depression medication? And I became really, really angry. And at that point I gave up going to doctors and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I could have cancer. I could die tomorrow. I don't, I don't know. I don't care. It's getting worse. And then going through all these things and 
doing all these procedures, I remember that the doctors would come in and touch my chest and even someone just putting their hands on it lightly would be severely painful. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this every single week where a new set of eyes comes in and touches my chest. It almost becomes a traumatic experience going through all those exams as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I gave up doing that. And then I set the intention of, I know something different needs to happen. It's possible that something in my diet could be causing this. And that's all the intention that I set. And I remember I was a nanny for that summer and I was watching a TV commercial and I ended up seeing a ad for a nutrition response testing practitioner. So essentially what they do is they go in and figure out the root to your issue and based off of what organs functioning, what is it? And I was like, hell, I don't, <laughs> why not? If she doesn't have to poke and prod me, sure, let's try it. And that actually was my mentor that I was talking about. And I'm very, very grateful for her. And we didn't end up talking about any of the emotional or spiritual stuff for a while. It was just the point that she could get me physically stable in order for me to start to see and understand the other things going on around me. Yeah. Oh, I resonate so much with what you said about just a doctor exhausting their options and then giving antidepressants and, and it, it's almost it's very confusing as the patient where you're like no I, I, I don't feel sad I'm frustrated I don't feel like I'm depressed but you're only giving me this pill option so you, you said you or you believe that the body has the ability to heal itself and I I 100% agree but I think that so many of us forget they for, they for, we forget that the body does have its the own ability to heal itself and we go straight to that pill because it seems easier or something. Can you talk a little bit about that? How I feel like in society today, we're so quick to go grab a pill, but I think it's so important to remind the listeners that the body has its own wisdom and that we are our own greatest healers. And I think that's just a, a cultural thing that we, I think as human beings, we all want the easy way out and any way we can avoid dealing with trauma. That's what we go to. If I can take something so that I don't have to deal with any of my trauma, great. Guess what? When you still ignore your trauma, it's still there and it normally creeps into your life in different ways. Mm -hmm. so the longer it stays in there and the more you suppress it, the more it comes out in different shapes and forms. So you even see that with people with PTSD. Like mm -hmm. soldiers will come home and they're like, I'm fine. Or if they know that they're not fine, they're like, okay, I'll only deal with this stuff um, like at nighttime or something like that. But then they start realizing that when they're, I had, I ended up dating a veteran with PTSD. And I remember we were in the car at one point in time and I was driving and it was like a nice residential neighborhood, like where, where I grew up, like zero crime rate. I remember him panicking because someone was following us. Like it was literally just around the block. I'm like, that's a common thing. And he was panicking and he was like, you need to turn in this corner and this corner and this corner and this. And I'm like, what's wrong? And he's like, someone's following us. Someone's trying to hurt us. Someone's trying to kill us. I'm like, we're fine. We're in the suburbs of Iowa. Like we are by a park. No one's going to kill us here. We are okay. Yeah. And to him, it's, he had started to have no control over it because he suppressed it for so long. And that's kind of what happens just with our emotions in general as well. Have you ever seen someone that's had a bad day at work and instead of dealing with it right then and there, they come home and then they take it out on their kids, their significant other, 
their other family members because they didn't deal with it right then and right there. Yeah. And when people don't deal with that trauma or something that affected them negatively, it stays with them and affects other parts of their lives. And I deeply believe that that gets stored in a physical sense because that's just what we are as human beings. As an example, I'm just kind of transitioning into the work that I do. Uh, I'm trying to think of the specific wording that I've heard before. Have you ever heard someone say you're giving me a headache? Yeah. Some, some kind of phrase along the lines of that. And then later they actually physically develop a headache. Our body stores those beliefs into certain compartments, but depending on what beliefs we have. So another example, I'm sure some of you guys have seen this on TV where there's like a horrific car crash or something like that and someone can't handle it like they see blood or guts or something they can't handle it they go to the side and they start throwing up according to someone like louise hay throwing up is a sign of rejection so we're immediately taking that emotional trauma stuffing it into our bodies right away and then using a physical response to see how well we've stored that information it's our physical symptoms are basically stating that something's still bothering us. That's essentially what it is. So even if you can look at it from more of a neutral point of, okay, something's just not working correctly, like a check engine light on a car compared to just freaking out of, it shouldn't be this way, I shouldn't be hurting, it should be functioning correctly. Like if that happened every single time that a check engine light or something went on in our cars, we'd be going crazy all the time. So that's one thing that we can also do is just look at it from a neutral perspective and say, okay, this isn't working. As long as I'm temporarily stable, I'm not in the hospital, I'm not dying. Let's look at what could possibly be going on. Yeah, I love uh, your analogies are, are very crystal clear. I love those. Can you talk a little bit about then why and how chronic illness comes about? Yes. So chronic illness is essentially when one of those beliefs happens and then we never confront it. It just literally stays in there and it's locked in there. As far as autoimmune disorders go, which is kind of what this community is about from my understanding, autoimmune disorders are normally attacking the self and holding on to a belief that you are not good enough, that something that you've done has hurt someone else. It's physically attacking yourself. And that's literally what the body's doing as well, is the body's attacking its own tissues. From an emotional standpoint, we're literally attacking our own being as a soul. For example, um, I'm trying to think of something that I have in particular. I notice that my, just because I can kind of see my body in the way that I work, I notice that my thyroid flares up um, when I come from the standpoint that I'm not doing enough or I'm not working hard enough. Mm. And when that happens, then an autoimmune reaction starts to happen because I'm not loving myself. I'm being angry at myself and I'm taking all that anger out on myself of why aren't you good enough? Why aren't, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Yeah. And when we keep shifting that blame on us and constantly having that negative energy on us, our body literally starts to go in and starts to attack itself. Mm -hmm. I've noticed just a pattern in general with autoimmune conditions from a physical standpoint when I work with providers is that normally a virus shows up. So, as far as a like an entertainment purpose statement instead of like an educational thing from an entertainment purpose my mentor taught me that viruses are kind of like a light switch so when you turn a light switch on things are active 
And that's kind of like a flare up that people go through with autoimmune diseases or chronic illnesses. So when the light is on, things are active, things are going on. When the light switches off, things are dormant and there aren't any flare ups. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really important piece to acknowledge because a lot of the times doctors aren't treating viral things and autoimmune conditions because there's no test. It's hard to prescribe something for something that you can't 100% confirm that's there. And that's the extreme frustrating part is that there's not a lot of viral testing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I found in my own personal healing journey that it's about going deeper, going into the deeper layers to try and figure out, okay, well, I have this kind of surface level symptom, but why, what message is it sending me? And what is the, the deeper layer underneath? Is it a virus? Is it hormonal, hormonal imbalance, et cetera? Yeah. And I think that more of us need to look at it from, from that point of view of like, what is the, the message that your body is sending you versus let's cover this up with whatever medication or ignore it, et cetera. What about just because I know a lot of women in my community struggle with digestive stuff. Do you have any insight on um, like the emotional roots or like what they might be blocking if they have digestive illness? Sure. So to me, all beliefs are individualized. If we're talking from a more broad perspective, like a Louise Hay standpoint, digestive issues are normally not being able to digest the things going on in your life. Mm -hmm. So it may be that let's say you just had a divorce and you moved somewhere else and you just started a new job. That's a lot to take in all at once. And you know what? Your body's trying to sit there and function and it's not able to. That's just one way that it goes in and gets stored. Um, thyroid conditions from a Louise Hay perspective, again, thyroid conditions are normally related to some kind of rage or anger of not speaking up or not being good enough. So I see that a lot, uh, from a patient standpoint with 30 to 40 year old women, when they have a career, when they have a little one at home and when they have a spouse and normally one of those is significantly imbalanced and they take their anger out on the other two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, uh... I'm, I'm going to be very interested to hear listener feedback and, and hear what people are like going, aha, yes, that's me. <laughs> and if they resonate with some of these, are there any, uh, like you said, it's, it's an individualized thing that you do in your work, but are there any other common themes, like maybe with like eyes, eye inflammation, you talked about the thyroid, we talked about digestion, maybe even um, like ovaries or, or female hormones, anything, any common threads there? Yeah. So a lot of things with like, um, fibroids and endometriosis and things like that. Those are normally associated again from a Louise Hay perspective of not feeling like enough of a woman or enough of a partner. Mm -hmm. And that might be manifested in I'm doing all of the housework at home and I'm not being appreciated, or Mm -hmm. I've done all of this, which I thought my husband would expect me to do. And it's not good enough. Or my child's complaining that I'm not home enough. And as a woman or as a mom, I should be home spending time with them. Whatever your stereotypical images of a woman and then that not being fulfilled normally relates to female endocrine issues, especially the reproductive issues. And that's a major one. Um, Swelling is another common one that I see typically with older females. And that's normally um, related to built up anger you're literally swollen with anger. Yeah. Um, 
It's interesting that like even cartoons depict that, right? Like a cartoon yeah. when the cartoon character gets pissed off, like they show the head like kind of expanding and turning red, like the your head is like about to like blow off, right? Like they mm -hmm. It's this visual of, of swelling, of this anger, like, rustling up to the surface in even cartoons that we watch when we're little kids. Yeah. Another one with um, the lungs is, have you guys ever had, like, a nice, good cry, and afterwards, you kind of take that deep breath, and you're like, I can feel better. A lot of grief and not letting out um, sadness is typically related to lung dysfunction, and the lungs not functioning properly. Sinuses, that's another big one, um, are normally an irritation to someone close. So if you have a chronic sinus infection or sinus infections frequent you, um, that's probably someone an irritation to someone close to you, whether that be a spouse, a coworker, um, a child, something along the lines of that. Um, a specific example with a sinus infection could be that you open up to your spouse about how great this new project is that you're doing and then they completely ignore you irritation like how could you not like that's such a um i'm trying to figure out the right word for that that's such a humiliating experience that you you give your heart and soul to someone and then they completely just put up a wall or ignore that and that's typically related in the sinuses or expressed mm -hmm. in the sinuses again that's not always the case everyone stores their beliefs in an individualized manner but as far as just typical patterns go, that's kind of what Louise Hayes listed out there for everybody. Yeah, her work is so incredible. I think some of the ones I've heard too are like um, breast cancer or like even cysts in your breast tend to be like um, like caregivers when you um, like- Nurturing hurts. Nurturing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fibromyalgia, um, I had another mentor teach me this one. Fibromyalgia is typically related to male abandonment. Interesting. And it's interesting that a lot of females that I've met and I've worked with as patients and even just personally, the people that have fibromyalgia typically felt abandoned by some kind of male figure in their life. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of crazy you say that because I developed or was at least diagnosed with fibromyalgia, but my pain really started a few years earlier. Um, so I was diagnosed when I was about 17 years old. My parents got divorced when I was like 12, 13 years old and my dad moved out and then my pain started and it took us like three, four years to figure out like what was this pain. Eventually it was diagnosed fibromyalgia. Um, but as I've reflected on my own life, I've also, I see it also as this weight of the world on my shoulders, like this chronic kind of inflammation of feeling like I'm burdened and like overloaded and have like too much to take care of. Have you ever heard that interpretation of it as well? Yeah, so it's, it's just feeling abandoned. I would say it's just feeling like no one's showing up for you, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, I, I relate to that too. And that my parents are both wonderful people, very loving people. But my younger siblings kind of demanded extra attention because of mental health issues and everything. And I, here I was like getting A's and going to soccer practice and for the most part behaving myself. So I didn't really need as much like, you know, parenting, I guess. But I think that my body then took that in like you know, it manifested in a different way because then I wasn't getting all the attention and love that I probably desired. Right. And that's a perfect example too about how you logically just ration that out on 
how it shouldn't have been a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I always look at, look at it from the viewpoint, like what you were also talking about is that when emotionally you're hurt and when your heart's hurt with it and the heart part of that isn't healed, that's what tends to get stored in there. So let's say that someone, let's say someone takes a baseball bat to your favorite car and breaks out all your windows, something along the lines of that. You could be pissed and head forgive someone and verbally say it, I forgive you. That's completely different than a heart forgive you of mm. I completely let it go. Yeah. Yeah, I can feel the difference. Like, even when you were just saying it, like, I can feel the difference of when I've, like, you know, um, forgiven somebody more on this, like, surface surface level versus, like, my actual, like, soul heart is forgiving somebody and, like, actually releasing then that anger or resentment from my energy body versus kind of just saying it but then holding it on in my energy body. And that's the whole premise behind that, too, I heard some quote about this. I don't remember where it came from, but uh, resentment is only the poison that you swallow. Mm-hmm. So in the case with the person coming in with a baseball bat and knocking out all your windows in your car, if you say, okay, I forgive you, chances are they might be over or they might be, okay, like Sarah truly forgave me in this situation, yeah. but you still hold on to it. Yeah. Because in your way of holding on to it, that means that you're right. Mm-hmm. A lot of us hold on to resentment like that, even though we have had had forgiven them because if I let it go, that means that I was wrong. And that's a whole ego premise. And that isn't necessarily true whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And that's part of the work that I also do as well is going in and figuring out how that might not be true or if it is true, how you can be 100% okay with it to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. I think the ego has such a strong voice within each of us that we really have to keep it in check and keep going. Okay. Is that ego? Is that fear state talking? Or is that the part of me that wants to stay safe and play small? Or is it like my, my true self? Uh, do you have any tips for taming people's ego? Cause sometimes that voice comes in so strongly. Right. So What I do and what my experience of what has worked is I will give my ego time to come out. Mm -hmm. So kind of like what a little kid does of like, let's say every Sunday, every Sunday we're going to go out for ice cream. And every Sunday that kid knows that they're going to go out for ice cream. If you say, look, ego, we are going to talk Wednesday morning. On Wednesday morning, I'm going to let you say whatever you want. And typically during that time, I'll sit in journal. I'll just write down every single thing it says. And then I'm aware of what's bothering me. Mm -hmm. So my ego feels heard. I can sit and work through it. And then that also helps me on a spiritual level of being okay with things and letting things go. So it actually works to the benefit when you allow your ego to talk, but not let it talk all the time. Right. Like give it, give it its 30 minute session, little meeting with you. (laughs) And then it doesn't get to come out rest of the week. I really like that. Yeah. So I'm sure, and I'm very excited about this too, but I'm sure listeners would love to have a live demonstration of the work that you do as a medical intuitive and everyone listening, I volunteered myself. So I'm very excited to, to experience this with Rachel and have her read a little bit of my energy uh, and see, I asked her to just do uh, uh, kind of a blank reading. No, like she doesn't really have any insight into what's going on in my body. She's just going to read my energy today and we're going to see what comes up. So I'm, I'm excited to hear what, what you see. 
So I'm only going to do um, emotional and spiritual things because that's what I only do with personal clients. Anytime someone wants my help with uh, determining maybe if they have a virus or a bacterial infection or something like that, I always refer them over to the providers that I work with. So for this case, since you are in the sense like a personal client, we're just going to treat you like one. Mm -hmm. So going into it, if I just have a blind reading, the first thing that pops up to me is energy in the liver. Uh, liver is normally associated with anger. So this is kind of my process out loud of, okay, does anger resonate in this case? Yes, it does. Okay. So let's figure out what that anger is related to. Is it related to a family member? No. Is it related to a friend? Yes. Okay. Is it related to a significant other figure? No. Is it related to health stuff? No. Job or money? Job, career, money. Um, is it related to anything else in this point in time? No. Okay. When did the anger with the friend start? Was it zero to two years ago? No. Was it zero to five years ago? No. Six, seven, eight nine, 10, 10 years ago, which would be 2008-ish. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, do you know this friend from school? Kind of, but not necessarily, okay. Um, was it a guy? No, girl, yes, okay. So I can keep digging for details. It just depends on how much you want me to dig. If this specifically resonates with you, we can go in and try it out. You can also list off a few names of friends that you had around 2008, and I can tell you if I get a hit on that or not. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised that it's a friend, because I thought it was going to be a family member, um, but I also... And sometimes we process family members as friends. Have you ever heard someone's sister say? I was going to say, I have an interesting relationship with my mother and that uh, we're, we are, we're more of friends than we are mother daughter. And it's been that way for a very long time, uh, at least in my eyes. I don't know if she would agree with me or not. But that's the way that you take it in internally. And I agree with that point that it is your mother. So let's go in and figure out exactly what the scenario was. Did it happen? Do you have, do you have any particular memory in mind when I bring up 2008 with your mom? So I think of I think of 2008 and I think about how I was in college um, and kind of like the I, I'm like visualizing like the, the, that period of life. Right. So I wasn't living at home anymore. I okay. was I was in college. I was in my uh, 2008. I would have been probably a sophomore second year of college. Um, but I can't think of a specific specific event that uh, or like a blowout fight or anything like that that would that's coming to mind right away. What was going on around that time with your relationship with her? Were you closer than normal? Were you further apart than normal? Um, we were closer than we are now. Okay. Were you closer than you were in your early childhood? Uh, early childhood, yes. Okay. Is there a specific event that you can think of around that 2008 time period? where you needed your mom and she couldn't show up for you? So during that time, I feel like um, she 
I, I think it was that year. She broke up with a fairly serious boyfriend and um, then, you know, went through that whole breakup and then started to see some other men who I did not like very much. Um, that was kind of happening during that time. Yeah, I remember being away, away a lot. You know, I wasn't home very much, but we would talk on the phone. Okay. Do you feel like that you desire mom's opinion or approval when you talk about something like, mom, I'm thinking about doing this job or how do you think I should handle this situation with a friend? Do you kind of look for her for that guidance and that confidant kind of feeling? I look, f I want to be heard, I think. I think I, I want her to be a better listener. And maybe she stopped listening so much as well. L stop being as good of a listener around that time period would then, you know, her life went through this shift and she really started focusing on her own shit and her own problems. And so our conversations then completely shifted to her life and the things she was going through. And I think I felt like then there was no space for me to express myself and for her to express interest and concern and love and comfort around my life because it became all about her life. And like I said, it was, it was this kind of friendship relationship and that then it was just like two girls talking about boys, and, but it was more focused on, you know, what she was going through than what I was experiencing. Does, does that sound right? Yes. So when you were sitting and talking about that, I picked up the belief what I have to say isn't important. And that's directly related to that mother figure. And I would also assume that you've had that experience with a few other friends or family members or relationship things. Yeah. So now that we have the belief pinpointed, we're going to go in and figure out how that isn't true or how you can be 100% okay with it. Okay. So during that time, or even to this current point in time, since you're holding on to it on an energetic level anyway, how can you be okay that what you have to say isn't important to your mom? Was she in the f physical or emotional capacity to listen to you at that point in time, or was she too overwhelmed to see that you were also struggling or also needed attention? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think even, you know, being, what, 10 years removed from, from that kind of shift in our relationship, I can also see it with clearer eyes, which is just that, yeah, she was really overwhelmed and, um, had not only like, you know, relationship stuff she was going through, but also uh, a lot of troubles with my siblings that they were going through that she wanted to be there for them for as well. And they were all still back at home. And here I was, you know, away, farther away at college. And, and so to your point, I think, yes, she wasn't able to be there as much as I wanted her to be. Is it also possible that I think just all of us in general, especially going through those high school, college, and just younger adult years of, but you're my mom, you should show up for me. No matter what's going on with you in your life, your job is a mom first, because that's what a kid's eye is, is you, your parents are God. They kept you alive this long. They showed you the ropes. It's still their job. No matter what age you are, it's still their job to be able to go in and be there for you when you need it. Yeah, and I think that's also another piece of resentment that's hanging on. Yeah, I think I definitely resent that. I resent never feeling like a child and being treated like 
the mediator between my parents since I was about 12 years old. And so then being treated like as an adult and having to grow up at 12 year old, 12 years old, instead of kind of growing up in a more organic, natural way, it was like, oh, okay, like you are need to be responsible for yourself and your siblings. And like, there wasn't as much guidance after that period in my life. And I, right. I do think I hold a lot of resentment for that because it's like, hey, I just wanted to be a kid. And I didn't feel like at least that I was able to be a kid. Right. And during that time when you were in college, do you know approximately how old your mom was? Um, so she's Let's see, 2008 minus 10, 20, 46, 46. Okay, 46 ish. So now, can you think of an adult, any adult that you know fairly well that's around that same age of 46? Yeah. Okay. So are they a human being and they make errors and they're going through their own shit, correct? Yes. Okay take that same viewpoint and put that with your mother mm-hmm. that she has the exact same stuff that other people her age are going through mm-hmm. and just because she's your mom doesn't mean that it that's her number one priority she's just a human being at the end of the day yeah. and it's much yeah. easier when you can see that from someone that isn't your parent around that same age mm-hmm. of like oh my god they're struggling with things i remember working in a chiropractic office and I would have people my parents age just come and talk to me I don't know if I can pay for my mortgage like this month like I might divorce my wife like that's why my head really hurts like you just sit and have normal conversations I never heard any of my parents say that and I think that that's why I internalize God and I think that's why a lot of kids do if they're not aware of them as just human beings later on in life so I think now that you that you saw that image of that adult around that 46 year old age, I think you have a lot more compassion of like, my mom was just going through shit and that's okay. It was not personal at all. She just didn't even know what to do with herself. Yeah. Like, well, that must've really felt like she was that overwhelmed. Uh-huh. I'm not 46 yet, but I am 30 and I'm going, okay, like I don't have any children. <laughs> and I, I was just joking with a friend the other day. I was like, I would not be able to take care of a kid right now because I have enough of my own shit going on. (laughs) Like to guide another soul into this universe would be way too overwhelming, isn't it? Right now. (laughs) So just going in and working on that, I got that that belief system was healed out at sixty percent. Okay. So let's see if we can go and alleviate that a little bit more. She's talking about something similar in that manner. I'm trying to think of another thing that was connected to that situation here. Um, Did you try calling your mom and she just didn't return your calls? Mm. She's, she's pretty good at calling. What'd you say? She's pretty good at calling back. If I, if she misses a call, she's pretty on it as far as like, okay, she calls back quickly. Was there events that you wanted her to go to and she would say, I'm busy? What's with the busy concept that she couldn't make enough time for you? Mm, I, I, may, I may harbor some resentment as well um, because she never visited me. So um, she came to like my graduates, uh, my master's degree graduation, but that was the only time I saw her 
where I lived in Chicago for like the four or five years I lived there. Um, and then in college, she came down for a couple emergencies, but then other than that, it was just like, for, again, for graduation, um, because she was working and she had three kids at home. So I think that's what's coming up for me intuitively is that maybe I thought she was just too busy with work and kids to make time for me when I was living away from her. So it was always me going back for my mom and my dad to see them. It was me making the trip, me saying, okay, I'm going to be here now. I'm going to make time for you since you don't come to see me. Mm -hmm. And I got off of that is the belief that I, what I'm doing isn't important. So mm -hmm. let's go in and look about, look at that on how that isn't true. Again, I would imagine that that's carried over into different parts of your life as well. Yeah. yeah. What, are you, what are you doing isn't important. So during that time, was that necessarily true? Because what you've told me that doesn't seem true, it just might not have occurred to her of how important it was to you. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I, I do think that's a limiting belief. And I think that I was always looking for validation um, and for both of my parents to say, hey, we're really proud of you. Like, you're doing an awesome job. You're killing it, girl. You know, because I tried really, really hard. And I, I've always been a really hard worker, really worked my ass off through, through college. And so I, I think I probably was seeking some sort of just recognition for that. And I think from your mom's viewpoint of what it feels like and what I see through her eyes anyway, is that the less that I, the less that I um, get in the way of my daughter, the better. Mm. Because the less that I'm involved, the more she's thriving on her own. And that's how proud I am of her. If I have to come over every single night, that means that as a parent, I'm doing something wrong. But if she can go out there and do her own thing, survive by herself, mm -hmm. like look at her, oh, holy cow. And I think that that was her perspective on doing that. And it wasn't supposed to be a hurtful thing yeah. because I think she wants you to learn and grow that like you're doing awesome by yourself. If I need to step in and tell you something like that, I'm afraid I'm going to make you like regress backwards yeah. of doing the little kid thing of like, here, mom, I have a picture. Like, do you like it kind of thing? She's like, you already passed that. Like, keep going. You don't need me anymore. Have you ever like, I don't know if you've ever seen like a cartoon or a cartoon animation where you see like the sequence of this little baby and then it's like growing up, like learning how to hunt or something. And the parents are like, all right, you're on your own kind of thing. Like to them, that was a proud thing. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like, it would be weird in that situation if the little boy was like, okay, I like, I got a deer or something and he's looking around and he's like, why is no one proud of me? Like in the parents' viewpoint, that was like the best honor possible was leaving him alone to go out and do his thing. So even just taking that viewpoint is helpful as well too. Yeah, no, that's actually extremely helpful because I think that's like probably how my mom would try to express herself, vocalize her point of view. It, that feels very on point as far as like, you know, you were doing, you were doing great. And when I would come home, and we went, I don't know, out in public somewhere, and we bumped into somebody we knew, it was like, oh, Sarah, she's doing this, and this, and this, and it was like, I was always surprised when she would, like, kind of, like, you know, like, brag about, about me, almost, in front of her friends, because I'd be like, oh, you, you noticed that, 
And I didn't realize she was noticing until she was then telling other people about me. And I was like, Oh, you, you are noticing this, but I, you're just not telling me like to, to, to my face, like vocally, verbally to me. So I remember like having these kind of like epiphanies when I would come home and be like, Oh, she's, she's following what I'm doing. It's just in her own way. She's acknowledging me. Yeah, it's kind of like the baby birds of mom preparing baby birds and nurturing baby birds. And then she's like, all right, it's time to go. Like the baby birds start flying there and be like, are you proud of me? I'm flying. Like they just, they just go out and do their thing. Yeah. They need to do. So I think she was doing it from a really loving place and it wasn't meant to intentionally hurt you whatsoever. Mm. It was more, it was out of a place of love and not spite. So now that I'm going in and looking at that point in the liver, it feels dissolved and I bet right here on the right side right underneath um like your breast mm-hmm. I bet that that feels a lot looser right through I'm trying to show you on camera right here this yeah. is typically where the liver reflex is located you'll start to feel that muscle to start to smooth over and kind of the inflammation start to dissipate so I that's essentially that. the work that I do yeah no thank you so much Rachel that's really really helpful yeah. and I feel like in that part of my body um it's, I, I felt it more through like I could take a deep breath because my rib could kind of expand and let my lung expand fully instead of kind of constricting. And I've always had like a pretty tight core as well. Like just my whole life is like, I, I think I clench and I hold so much into like stomach and, you know, protection, protecting myself there by like clenching and, and having a strong core to protect myself but now it feels like um a little softer and gentler today mm-hmm. so started. typically yeah over normally takes about a day or two for the physical signs to fully go in and manifest when it releases as an example i worked on a a guy college student the other day he ended up going to the doctor and getting steroids he had a huge hives all over his body mm-hmm. and we ended up sitting and just doing this except I only had him fill out a form and I gave my answers back to him mm-hmm. the next day his hives were completely gone on his body so that's just a cool thing of how fast that those things can go in and physically dissolve we right. just have to go in and figure out what's bothering us and figure out how we can become okay with it yeah it's interesting for me too because my liver you know based on the functional medicine tests that I've done on the physical side a lot of what it's all this cascade, everything's communicating with each other. And my liver is really the center of a lot of what I'm struggling with physically, like melasma in my skin, where it's like estrogen, I have excess estrogen, estrogen isn't able to properly like detox and eliminate from my body, which happens through your liver. And Mm -hmm. I struggled with um, horrible acne for years, again, your liver is not cleansing all the toxins from your body. So that shows up in your skin. And so much of my physical symptoms have been on the surface because I think my liver has been so clogged up with just freaking emotions and anger and resentment. So like, it's like, okay, we're, we're busy. We're full over here out of service. Like go, go to the skin, let the skin detox the rest of, you know, whatever else is in your body. And then obviously having like, you know, toxins in my diet, when I, before I started healing was even more of a load on my body. So it, it makes it from a, in the yeah. whole picture. From a physical standpoint as well, chest pain is a liver reflex. So right mm-hmm. over that area that you were also pointing to, if there's no 
signs of cardiac distress and it's not an emotional thing with your heart, mm-hmm. a lot of the time, but that's also a liver reflex again, which is connected mm-hmm. to some kind of anger if we're going off of broad generalizations. Yeah. So that's another thing that you could go and connect to as well. Uh-huh. That's really interesting too, because when as a bioenergetic practitioner and some of the work that I do, I scan people's energy bodies. And for, when I scan my own body using an actual like a scanner, a machine, when I see it on the the image of it on my screen, my heart shows up like every single time. And I, you know, I'm always like, okay, you know, every time I've gone to like a doctor, it, it, my heart's completely fine. There's nothing wrong. I don't have like high cholesterol, anything like that. But I've always sensed it's an emotional thing in my heart of like anger, pain, like bubbling up from the liver, maybe going into the heart a little bit. And if you want, we could do the heart thing too. I know that that's important to you. If you have some time. Yeah, let's try the heart. Sure. This is, I hope the listeners are freaking loving this because I'm loving this. Heart is related to two years old. So not a lot of people in our life when we're two normally. So let's go in and ask, is it family members? Yes. Okay. Is there anyone else involved? Um, okay. Family members at that time could be mom, dad. Okay, dad related. Trying to think of what a normal two-year-old's life is like. Okay, Um, do you have any specific memory that pops up with dad around the age of two? If not, I can continue digging. Yeah, I don't remember anything from that age. Uh Does it have to do, I'm just trying to think of what a two-year-old's life is like. Toys, doesn't have to do with toys have to do with him yelling at you yes okay yelling at you dad yelling at you two years old um did you feel like you were gonna get hurt no did you feel like you were doing something wrong no did you feel like he didn't love you yes So sometimes when these memories happen so early, I'll connect it with other existing memories that you can think of. Have you, can you think of a time just throughout any time in your lifetime when your dad has yelled at you and you felt like he doesn't love you? Can you picture a time when he's been very upset and his anger has been directed at you? So my dad's really interesting in that he doesn't react quickly to anything. So he is very much the person who, if you ask a question, he'll say, I'll think about it. And then tomorrow he'll give you an answer. So he takes a lot Mm -hmm. of time to kind of craft his response to most things in life. Um, I have seen him get very angry before, but he's not um, naturally someone who's going to like explode or blow up. Um, I also think, so he's been sober for over 10 years now um probably maybe a little bit over 10 years but i think that when he was still drinking that potentially those were also moments then that he might not have taken as much time to kind of make an answer and he might have had more of like a yelling that you said but you can't really recall any of that time period where he might have acted like that during his drinking 
Not really. He was my soccer coach. So I, that like, that's the first thing I thought of was like him yelling as like a soccer coach, but not in an angry way in like a go girls, like score goals. We're going to win, like go get them type of like just being a coach. Um, I actually, I think I remember him more yelling at like my younger siblings than I remember him yelling at me. Um, I definitely got in trouble as a teenager though. And my dad and I had a lot of bumping heads when I was a teenager. Um, with the teenager, was there a situation with clothes, involved clothes that you ended up getting into a yelling match with him or he lost his temper over something? I'm sure he didn't like the clothes I wore. He didn't like the people I hung out with. He didn't like it when I, that I was dating. He wanted me, I think, just to like lock up all of my lady parts and stay at home. <laughs> okay, I need to be shown a different story so that Sarah can understand what's going on. Um, Do you feel like your dad would ever give you individualized attention? So let's say that if you were sitting at the table eating, would he eat with you guys or would he just give you food and kind of walk away? I remember I mostly cooked dinner at his house. So um, he would eat dinner with us, but he also owns his own business. So he was always working a lot and like on his phone. Okay. And I think um, maybe not specific to the dinner table, but just more like life in general. I don't get hardly any one-on-one time with him. Okay. Is that something that makes you upset? My mental, like my, my voice wants to say no, but I feel feel in my heart I feel emotional about that so my first reaction is like no that, that that's fine but then in my chest and like in my head I'm like oh no that does bother me okay I think I understand the connection now mm-hmm. um because dad doesn't spend one-on-one time with me it feels like he doesn't love me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that that's a again I think that's a heart thing not a head thing like what you were going in and talking about yeah So this is a much harder thing to go in and look at how that isn't true or how you can be 100% okay with it because we have the viewpoint as kids, my parents should love me and they should show up for me and they should do these things with me. So how can we get you okay with your dad that you feel like your dad doesn't love you because he doesn't spend one-on-one time with you? Mm -hmm. Why do you think your dad doesn't spend one-on-one time with you? You said because he has this business stuff. Is that one answer that pops up? One answer, yeah. He um, He's a very hard worker. He has a su- successful business. Um, now we don't live in the same state anymore. Um, but also his he's remarried. He has a wife. And um, I, I felt for a long time that, that she is the priority over his children. What's another excuse? Um, Minus the not living in the same state, his wife being another priority and him being a business owner. From little kid Sarah's perspective at 12, 
why can't my dad spend one-on-one -on -one time with me? Or he doesn't spend one-on-one -on -one time with me because of all my other siblings. Like there's, there's, there was four of us. My, my one brother has passed, but it was like, there's too many of us for him to have time with each of us separately. Okay. Are there any other excuses that pop up in your head or points that come up in your head if he couldn't spend one-on-one -on -one time with me? I think as a, before he met his now wife, I think he also was like, you know, dating, trying to find love again. Okay. So from an ego perspective, why don't you feel like you're more important than your other siblings or his dating life? What do you feel like is wrong with you that he couldn't do that? Again, very, very ego standpoint. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's say, what's one of your siblings' names? Joe. Why would he spend time with Joe over you? If he did. Um... Joe needed more attention. Okay. Joe couldn't take his care of himself as well as I could take care of myself. Okay. So you almost got overlooked. Yeah. And, and going back to a little bit of the mom stuff too, right? Where it's like, I wanted to like be heard. So he thought you didn't need him. Mm-hmm. So this is... This is, I think, where it's clicking. He thought you didn't need him. Mm -hmm. So if we're going from the, what's your dad's name? Tom. Tom. Okay, so if we're going into the, the head of Tom, of Sarah's okay right now by herself. She's out with her friends. She's able to cook dinner by herself. She's able to take care of all of her own needs. Mm -hmm. um, she seems okay. Joe, on the other hand, is over here struggling, and he's missing me and my mom, me and my wife together, or he's not doing well at school or something else. So does that mean that he didn't love you because he thought you didn't need him? No. No. So it's kind of, let's say that it is a, let's do the analogy of a toddler learning to walk or a toddler learning to ride its bike or something like that. Mm -hmm. If you let go, like in your head, you're like, can do it by themselves. They're perfectly okay. And the toddlers find it maybe you didn't think that I was important enough to do this with me. Mm -hmm. like, this is an important thing for me. I wanted to spend time with you to do this, this together. Mm -hmm. So the child took it from the point of a bonding activity when the adult and a lot of adults do this. I'm even guilty of this, of doing it, things being done in a practical manner. Mm -hmm. Never seen adults that just want to go in and cook their own meals because they're like, I can do this 20 times faster if I just do it rather than a bonding experience of cooking with their child. Right. Those kinds of pictures pop up for me anyway. Yeah, so, no, that, that, those are significant yeah. for me as well. So it's, I feel like it's all coming together. <laughs> so looking back in that situation, you said you were around 12 cooking for him. Yeah. Can 12 year old Sarah be okay with the idea that my dad doesn't think I need him and that's okay. Yeah, she can. She can. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. Like, I 
I could have just spoken up and I didn't, and I didn't know how to, cause I didn't know how to process it. Cause I was freaking 12 years old. Yeah. And now as an adult, I, I understand that. And I understand he wasn't trying to hurt me. And that means he, he loves me. He wasn't trying to show me he didn't love me. I just took it like that. Mm-hmm. And now I have the opportunity as, as an adult to understand my dad does love me. And if I do want to spend time with him, I can reach out to mm-hmm. and I explain to him that dad, I really do need you. And I want to spend time with you because it makes me feel loved. And I really want to build that relationship with you. Mm-hmm. And even if you don't want to do that, that's also okay. My dad still thinks that I don't need him. And again, that's the baby bird thing of like, good for you. Look at you go kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you have like, two options on how to handle the situation. Uh-huh. Right. And I think my, my brain has always been diverted to, they don't love me. They don't care. I'm not important. What I'm not doing isn't important instead of, I mean, it's, it's challenging, right. To then see it through their point of view. And I think it really helps to have the, the third party like you or somebody to be like, well, was that malicious? Was that that they didn't love you? No, it wasn't. Or like my mom, was she just doing the best she could? Yes. But it's, I think it's hard for us to frame it that way on our own. It is so helpful to be able to kind of pick apart the pieces, dissect it with someone else to then see it from a different lens and a different perspective. Absolutely. So tying that together, going back to that two-year-old self, are you and your siblings close in age around that two-year mark? Um, My brother, Jordan, who's no longer with us, was um, just under two years younger than me. And then Joe is about five years, six years younger than me. And Anna is like nine, 10 years younger than me. So when he started to come into the picture, it's, I don't get that one-on-one time with my dad. Mm. Oh yeah. Cause I was two. You're right. Uh-huh. So that would be the first memory of that coming in. And that's where that belief got stored is all the way back to two years old. Two years old. That was not his intention whatsoever. He's just right. like, Oh my God, I have another freaking kid on the way. It's <laughs> not that I don't love you, but holy cow. I'm like, I got to take care of this thing that cries all the time too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's right spot on as far as like the age difference for sure. So again, it's just going in and looking at it of like, my dad did love me. Like he was just trying to take care of other shit going on. Yeah. Yeah. And just doing his best, right? He was only like 24 years old. So scary. Yeah. (laughs) Holy shit. Oh my God. Yeah. He was doing absolutely everything he could. Yeah. And we little kids take that personally because they're the people that should care about us and be 100% of our world. And I kind of, I think I suffer from that as an older sibling too. Of, I had twin brothers that came in right after me 18 wow. months later. And I was about two years old when they were babies. I remember, I think when I was three or four, I got pissed at one brother. It's probably because my parents didn't give me attention and I banged his head into a brick wall and cracked his head open. I was pissed. Mm-hmm. Like, we don't, we can't control those feelings when we're that little because it's all ego. That's all the terrible twos. It's all ego. I want my way now. It is my world. Yeah. Okay. I have another question for you. One more personal question. So uh, the whole time we've been on the call, I've had um, like a lot of like buzzing, like a deep kind of deep ringing, not a high ringing, like a deep ringing in my 
it's my left ear and I've, I've felt something on my left side the whole time we've been talking. Do you sense anything on my left side? So just, um, I actually just had a tinnitus case a while ago mm -hmm. about a, it was a lawyer and she had constant ringing in her ear for over a year. And I tracked it down to relating to some kind of work of her needing to do more civil like law stuff. And she told me that when she was in there doing the, um, like the government stuff, that that's the stuff that she really hated. Ironically, the day that she went to the hospital was supposed to be the day that she was in charge of a meeting for that government plans that she didn't agree with. Mm -hmm. So it was her way, her body's way of saying, like, listen up, this is not working for you. Yeah. So let's go in and look at that. So is that family? No. Friends? No. Relationship or significant other? No. Job? Or job? No. Career? No. Money? No. Health? Yes. Okay. So, uh, concerns with health. Oh, okay. That's cute. Okay. So I, I just kind of go through a mental process of asking questions sometimes just because it's quicker for me to go through and do it in yeah. my head. Um, had to do with health, your concerns with health, not, again, ears are normally not listening. Mm -hmm. They told me to tell you, you can be fixed. Mm. Whatever you have can be gone if you want it to. Yeah. I've had, and um, hear that apparently. <laughs> listen to it, not just verbally have someone say it but listen like to actually it well. integrate it into my yeah. being your brother's over on that side of your ear like literally pulling your ear up like okay, listen to I, this I that's what I was like feeling and sensing I was like I I was trying to see if you felt that that was my brother too I feel like my brother has been on my left side this whole fucking time <laughs> trying to pull my ear apart and like there's like this ringing in this left side and I'm like, why? And then it kind of started to hurt. And I feel like he was getting pissed at me for like not listening or something and I, about the, not or the, um, the, you can be, what did you say? Fixed or healed? You can be fixed, right? They use the word. You can be fixed. You can be fixed. Um, I, in the past, about a year ago was about my, was my, probably darkest moment with my anxiety um and feeling like okay I'm gonna have this anxiety for rest of my fucking life it's never gonna go away and feeling pretty hopeless about it and I've had tons of transformation of my my anxiety that I experienced and struggled with to the point now where it's like it's it's much 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 better but I think there's still probably something in my consciousness that's saying it's never going to actually go away. You're always going to have this. You're, it's always going to be there. And I think that's the, of all the things that are physically symptoms in my body, that's the one that I think I've had the most <sighs> challenge to, overcoming. I want you to understand that isn't your own voice telling you that that's something else. And that's mm -hmm. something that you don't want to be associated with. Mm -hmm. That is a whole separate entity other than yourself. Mm -hmm. That is not your voice. That's something else. Don't listen to that voice because that's not you. The tricky part of the spiritual stuff is a lot of the times you'll have these darker beings come in and sometimes that manifests as anxiety, depression, and all those kind of disorders. And they will tell you, like, let's say I'm scared about finding a job or something along the lines of that. They will come in and stick to me like glue and say, you're right, Rachel, you'll never find a job. 
you're not qualified enough, no one will ever hire you. Mm -hmm. Like, you're a fucking weird piece of human nature. Like, look <laughs> at what you're doing right now. Like, you're never, like, that's all them. That is not me. Not me. Yeah, it's not. Anytime you hear that, say, that's not me. That is, that is totally not you as a person. No one say, you are not saying that to you. That's mm -hmm. not even an ego voice. That's 10 times an ego voice. That is not you. And when you can go in and say, that's not me, guess what? They lose their power. They lose Absolutely. that fear. They're gone. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's powerful. I feel um, like, um, I feel I'm leaving, actually. I'm moving out because I feel it, and it's really yeah. cool. It just it's got stuck huge. in my throat for a second, but it was like coming up my throat and then leaving and like well, just starting to go. It's a huge release because yeah, I feel like you can breathe a lot better, and it literally just like melted off of you and came off, yeah. and it was a really cool experience to witness. Yeah. The other part, too, is when I do stuff like that, but that's sometimes that I can really feel what that person's experiencing. So mm. I'm like, why is my chest glowing right now? I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> I'm like, I d am I happy about something? I was like, oh man, that's not me. Okay, that's Sarah. I was like, right, oh, this right. is oh, I've had that experience with clients too, where you're like, oh. you feel what they're, the shift they're going through. I, I think it's really interesting too. I, I'm still feeling the left ear. It's probably saying like, keep listening, not just like listen, but keep listening. Um, but uh, also said, don't just say you'll do it, actually go through and think about it. And, and, and do it, right? Um, so left side is also our feminine receiving. So I feel like that's also like, okay, that's the ear. So what, you know, for whatever reason, it wasn't the right, right ear, but I feel like it was the left ear because that's like where you receive energy versus give energy. Yes. And he's left like, ear is also future. So oh, future. future. This is going to happen in the future tense. Listen to this to help your future self. Listen, mm, I love yes, that. Like Perfect. advice rather than letting go, which would be more of the right side, like with the right ear. So if he's like, hey, let this idea go, then it probably would have been over here. Like if, let's say you needed to forgive a friend or something. Would have been the right ear. Side. Yes, yeah. but if it's like, listen to this lady, like help you for future advice stuff. Yeah. So that like, I believe in the possibility that that anxiety will no longer be part of my life. It will, it will not exist in my future. Guess what? When you have that belief that what I have can't be fixed, they already won. Mm -hmm. Whether you want to call that a day, a day, like an entity or what else, like, do you really want to say that you won of like, yeah, I have the belief I can't get better. This really sucks. Like now I'm just depressed all the time and I just have to deal with this. And this is horrible. Like, why would you want to accept that? Hell, that sucks. I wouldn't want to do that. I came to the point um, in my healing journey where I was like, I don't know how to get rid of this. I don't even think it's possible to get rid of it, but like, I don't want it. So let's just figure out how to do it. I didn't have an answer, but as long as you're open to receiving the answer, you're on your journey. You're on your way. Mm -hmm. If you just know that someone out there can help you, even help you. Let's say that, let's just even play it on the caution point. If someone can help you and not even get rid of it or can't even fix it or something like that, that's a hell of a lot better than the place you're in now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like seeing it as something separate than myself too. That yeah. also I have power to say, you know, go fuck off, go away. I'm not listening to you anymore. <laughs> Oh, Rachel, thank you so much. This has been obviously transformational for me and my own personal healing, but I hope that it also brings light to uh, a different way to address the roots of illness, especially chronic illness for all the listeners. And it's just so powerful to 
understand some of the emotional aspects of this, not just, not that lab tests aren't important, but like not just what's on a lab test. There's just so much more that in, in my experience, it's like, well, I've done that. And I've, I take liver support every single day, but I still was holding anger in my liver. So there, there's, there's just so much more going on and at play. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it so, so much. Is there anything you want to leave with the listeners with? Um, and how can we find you? How can everyone find you? Yeah. Um, just a good following, um, closing, like what I just stated if you have the just the belief system of I know someone can help me or at least get me to feel better, that's the first step you got to do. If you want to stay stuck in the point of this is what it is, it's not going to change. Mm. So just even make the conscious decision on what you want to believe with that. Yeah. Um, as far as working with me as a personal client, you can go to my website, which is www.myrayeofhope.com and click on the personal clients tab. And then you have the option to sit and do something like what I've done with Sarah today, where we sit and talk on the phone and literally work it out. Or you can just do a form where you say, you know what, I've had liver issues. Can you just help me pinpoint what belief systems are stuck in there and how I can look at them differently? So some people really respond well to just doing the form and some people really just want to talk it through just like what we did here today. So all depends on the personal person and what they need in their healing. Beautiful. Yeah. Highly encourage everyone listening to give it a try. I can now say that it is transformational and I'm sure like a full hour session with you would just really be able to dissect so much of the limiting beliefs that are stuck in our energy body. So thank you again for your time. I appreciate you so much. You're welcome. Holy moly. When we were done recording this episode, my brother came through even stronger and I was able to connect with him so intensely and it was so intensely powerful that it's taking me a week to really integrate this information and come back to the editing process. So if you want to connect with Rachel, just click the links in the show notes and thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. If you loved this episode, I would so appreciate your support. Please head over to iTunes and leave a review so that even more individuals can start to heal beyond food on a soul level. Thank you again, and I will see you next time.